Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we have one of my favorite things that we do on the podcast. We share community birth stories. So we have different members of our online or in-person community share their experience. I love it. Not only do I love getting to know our community members a little bit better, but I think it's so important to put out a variety of birth experiences. There's not one right way to birth, and all the different experiences will land with people differently. Differently and pe- different people will relate to them. So today's birth story is what Sydney calls her accidental feedback. So we have Sydney Mulligan. She is a second time parent here at PYC. She's been part of our community for a while. The other day in class, I said, you're the mayor of PYC because she's just so embracing of new community members and she always introduces herself. She's just a wonderful person. So I think you're going to enjoy Sydney's story. Now, before we get to that, just a little update on what we've been doing with our classes. So we're always looking for ways to expand. So now we have in-studio classes, classes in the park. If you're in New York City, we now have them in Central Park right by Strawberry Fields. We have online classes. We have live stream classes. We have re-release classes. We have on-demand. So however you want to take class, roll your mat out, we have a way for you to join us. Sometimes it will be live. Sometimes it will be on your own. However you need need to join us, we welcome you. So those are our pre and postnatal classes. And of course, we've got our workshops on demand, in person, online. Check all this out on our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. And while you're there, head to our homepage so that you can download our free gift to you, Five Simple Solutions to the Most Common Pregnancy and Postpartum Pains. So if you've got some ache or pain, we got you covered. You can take a look at that. If you have some neck pain or back pain, instead of dealing with that all day, you may not be able to make it to a class. Within a few minutes, we can release some of that tension. What else is going on? Um, oh, our teacher training. So if you're a yoga teacher listening to this, we've got two different offerings for you. We have a postnatal teacher training online this summer, and then we've got our very in-depth 85-plus-hour prenatal training. So twice a year, we're going to do that online, and twice a year, we're going to do it in person. So if you want to join me in New York City and our in-person classes, I'd love to see you. If that is not available, do it online with me. It's been amazing. We have worked with people from so many different countries now. We're, we're kind of all over the world. It's amazing how we've had people tune in from Belgium, from, I'm forgetting all the places, from Thailand, from Costa Rica, several uh, places in Canada. Um, I think we've had someone from Switzerland and France. It's just been such a joy to bring our methodology all over the place. And then the last thing I want to say is a big thank you to our community. I have been reading uh, the rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and I want to say thank you. I know it takes time to leave a rating or review, so thank you for those who have done it. And if you have a moment, I'd appreciate if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review. It helps people find us. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Sydney. Hi, Sydney. How are you? Hi, Deb. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to hear your birth story. I also realized that the time that we're, we're recording this, it means you couldn't go to baby and me class today. <laughs> oh, you know, I have to have my priorities in order. <laughs> so I appreciate you, you know, talking to me during this time, but we'll do some yoga hopefully tomorrow. All right. So yeah, I've you. gotten to know you a little bit from postnatal class. And what I didn't know is that you had a feedback for your second. So I'm super excited to talk about that. But will you share a little bit about yourself with our community? I'd love to. Um, so again, my name's Sydney. I've been in New York for almost four years now. I am from North Carolina originally. And uh, even when I lived in North Carolina, just really felt like I was destined to be a New Yorker. So finally made my way here. I um, have a husband and I have two children. My son is three and my daughter is four months old. And I uh, work in marketing. 
Oh, that's why you had some great business ideas. This is all making sense. This is terms connecting the dots. All right. So we're going to talk about your second birth, a VBAC, but I feel like to get an understanding of the idea of going for a VBAC and kind of um, why you wanted that, let me hear a little bit about your first birth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, I'll only speak for myself, but I've also done a lot of research about VBACs in general and a lot of the kind of sentiment of people that I talked to that had had VBACs were, uh, it was a lot about kind of taking back the narrative of what your birth experience was. And that's, I, that was very true for me because my, my first birth was just such an atypical experience beginning to end. Um, I actually got pregnant, uh, while I had an IUD. And I think sometimes when I say that, people's brains kind of autocorrect and think IVF, but this is quite <laughs> the opposite. Uh, I had what is widely considered to be one of the most effective forms of birth control. And I, I got pregnant anyway, which was such a huge shock. I uh, was, you know, pretty young, especially by New York standards. I was only 26. I'd only lived in the city for four months when I found out I was pregnant. It was very much not my plan, but, um, you know, something that I, I kind of grew to be excited about over time, but very much from the start was something that was a little bit out of my control. Um, the pregnancy overall was not terribly complicated, uh, but, you know, had more complications than you would expect someone as young as I was to have. I had marginal cord insertions, so I had to do a lot of extra growth scans to make sure the baby was getting enough nutrition from the placenta, uh, and he was breached. From my very first like early anatomy scan at 16 weeks, he was breached every single time I saw him, never, never budged, never moved a muscle. I tried all the things. I did chiropractor. I did uh, spinning babies. I did. Uh, I even did the ECV which was uh, painful, quite painful. It's where they like manually try to turn the baby um, and you have to do it in the hospital. They won't do it until you're 37 weeks. They want you to be technically full term because it can cause you to go into labor, uh, but they want you to be kind of early enough term that they have as much room as possible to work with uh, to get the baby to move. And immediately his heart rate started dropping and they were like, okay, like we're, we're done. Baby's not moving. This is it. So you're going to, you're going to have a cesarean birth, which I had been kind of emotionally preparing myself for a little while. Funny enough, I, I did take like a full four week Lamaze class, pretty much knowing that I was going to end up with a cesarean birth and, you know, the kind of cesarean birth where I'm really not going to be laboring at all. So I stored away that information for next time. But, uh, so I had the ECV on a Friday and, you know, after, after they decided that they weren't going to proceed with it anymore. And he obviously had not flipped. Uh, my doctor came in and said, um, you know, so we'll, we have the C-section scheduled for a couple weeks from now. They scheduled it 39 weeks. Um, but it, there, because of the, um, kind of interaction with your uterus that we've done, your body may go into labor. And if you have more than, I think they said four contractions in an hour, anytime this weekend, then you have to call us right away. Um, it was like, okay, that's fine. The next day it was probably like, 26 hours after I had the ECV, I started having contractions, but they were so mild that I was like, not even sure that they, I was like, this must be what Braxton Hicks feels like. Uh, so I, I called in because they told me I had to, and, uh, they were like, Oh, we want you to come in and get checked out. I walked to the hospital. I only lived probably like 10 blocks away, but I, I walked in the whole way there. I was like, oh, this is so silly. I, they're going to turn me away. Like, I'm going to feel so foolish in the waiting room when there's actual women who are in real labor there. And I have what feels like, you know, mild period cramps. Um, but I got there and they were like, nope, you're in labor. Uh, so we're going to, it's time. It's showtime. So my husband ran home and got the bag and, uh, my son was born, I think four hours later. Um, the experience overall was, was fine, but again, it was, everything was very much out of my control. 
I, the cesarean birth itself was, was okay. I mean, it was technically an emergency C-section because it wasn't, I didn't make it to my scheduled time though. This wasn't, I think oftentimes when I hear people talk about their emergency C-sections, it's like, Oh, I, I labored for 40 hours. The baby wasn't descending. The heart rate dropped, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like kind of this really crash emergency big situation. I was like having some contractions enough that they did not want me to kind of sit and wait it out and decided to go ahead and, and get the baby out. Um, then my son was born. Um, it was actually kind of funny. I, uh, if, and if you know me, you know that I'm a very big Taylor Swift fan. And, uh, <laughs> my son was, uh, when I was in labor, it was the anniversary of the day that we had moved to New York city. And when they were wheeling me back to the OR, I started, I was just chatting, you know, that's what I do. Deb. That's how we're friends. Yes. Uh, chatting with the doctors, with the anesthesiologists. And I said, is he, um, are we going to get him out before midnight? Do you think? Because it's the it's the anniversary of the day that we moved to New York, and I think that's kind of cool. And the anesthesiologist looked at me and goes, "Welcome to New York, like Taylor Swift." And I was like, <laughs> "Yes!" And then they they played "Welcome to New York" by Taylor Swift in the OR while my son was being born. It was great. Uh, that that was something more in my control that made me very happy. Um, but you know the. It, the C-section recovery itself was really hard. My body just doesn't respond very well to anesthesia. Um, I, you know, like it took a long time for the epidural to kick in. That's also true for me. If I get like a cavity filled, it takes a long time for the Novocaine to kick in. I get really, really nauseous, which I told them up front. So they put, you know, Zofran or whatever it was in my spinal, but I still was throwing up all night long. Uh, Chance was born at like 11.45 p.m., but I I don't think that I really like meaningfully <laughs> held him and bonded with him until 7 o'clock the next morning because I was just so sick all night and just really, really out of it. Uh, my husband was pretty much up all night with him, and that was nice for them. They got some really good bonding time. Uh, but, I, I you know, I think the birth experience for my husband as well was it, it just – he was kind of shuttled back and forth and like, wasn't allowed to be there for certain parts of it, or they brought him back and forth. And we both just really didn't understand what was going on and didn't understand what our options were because this was a little earlier than even it had in- intended to be. We like hadn't had a chance to talk with our doctor about how a C-section works and when are we like, what, what choices do we have? Um, we just didn't, we didn't really know. We were just kind of being shuttled through the process. Um, so that, I mean, that was all fine. I, the recovery was hard, but it was also my first baby. So it just felt like pregnancy recovery is hard. This is really hard. Uh, I also had major abdominal surgery and, um, so that, that was pretty much how my first birth went. Um, I knew the second time, that I would try for a VBAC. I knew that my care provider was very VBAC friendly. Um, I had just kind of heard that about her. And when I went for one of my first appointments, one of the first questions she asked me was if I wanted to try for a VBAC because she felt like I was a good candidate. Um, and I said, yes, I, again, like just feeling like, well, you know, why not? Like, why not try for a VBAC? The C-section wasn't like a walk in the park, although I, I guess it would be fine to do a C-section again. I, I honestly just, I don't feel like I really thought about it that much. I was like, yeah, I guess I'll try for a VBAC. So what, so you were going to try for it. Did you at any point consider like, hmm, maybe I should do another C-section because there is certain amount of control over that. And I know some parents like the idea of, okay, baby number one, like the first child is going to be with whoever and you can plan that. What inspired you to decide to go ahead with that? Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I don't know if it, this is just a second, a second pregnancy thing or just a second kid thing, poor second kids. I just didn't, I honestly didn't think about it very much. I was just like, oh, I guess I'm going to do a feedback and that's fine. You know, I, I, I also knew that this was probably going to be my last child. This was kind of the last shot, quote unquote, I had to experience laboring. Like I, you know, I just really hadn't experienced even laboring and, I, when I, I think I was talking to my mom or someone about that and they were like, yeah, but why would you? I mean, it's kind of awful, <laughs> um, but it still felt like just a life experience. You know, it's just like a very unique experience as a woman that I wanted to like personally know what it was like. Um, when I got closer to the end of my pregnancy, though, I had 
um, my provider always refers to it as like the talk where you bring your partner and we like talk about your birth plan and, and what you want to do. Um, and this was specifically around the VBAC and they, she had some kind of, um, different guidelines for things like when we come to the hospital, like how far apart my contractions needed to be and things like that. Uh, but because I just hadn't, I just hadn't really thought terribly too much about the VBAC. I didn't realize how risky it was. Um, I think that in the back of my mind, I was like, well, obviously a VBAC is risky. I know that not all care providers choose to offer VBAC as an option. Uh, I'm really grateful that that's something that my provider is supportive of and is trained in and is happy to offer and thinks I'm a good candidate for. Um, I assumed that the risk was primarily to me. And I think this is maybe just like one of those motherhood things that I was like, well, the risk is to me, so it's fine. We're like, as women, I feel like we just, uh, we think about ourselves last so often, you know, like if, uh, but, but I found out in that, in that meeting with my provider that the risk was primarily to uh, my baby, that, you know, the risk was uterine rupture. I always knew the risk was uterine rupture that where they had um, done the incision for my cesarean would rupture while I was laboring. And I thought, well, you know, if that happens, I probably end up with a hysterectomy, I guess. And obviously that's not ideal. Um, but I, this is probably my last kid anyway. Like I, I don't think I would be devastated if that's how this went. And, and that's worth the risk to me. I found out though that, uh, the uterine rupture poses the greatest risk to the baby, uh, because as soon as the uterus ruptures, the fetus loses oxygen. And the question becomes like, how quickly can we get you back to an OR and opened up and get the baby out, uh, before, you know, something really awful happens. Um, at that point I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm not sure that this is actually worth it. Like I, you know, it would be beautiful to be able to have this experience and be able to labor and know what this is like, but really what I want is a healthy baby. And I, I don't particularly care how that happens. Um, and if this is not the right choice for me, then, then maybe it's not. And I had this whole meeting with her and I kind of sat with it. I, I was already like 36 weeks and some change maybe. Um, and I ended up emailing her a few days later and being like, you know, I thought about it some more and I'm not sure I want to go for the VBAC. This just is much more risky than I thought it was going to be. I know that I'm a good candidate, but I'm just, I'm a little unsure. And she said, she basically was like, I, I think I may have freaked you out a little bit. Yeah. I was like, wondering, well, did she go worry. over the numbers, like the percentage? Cause it's a very low percentage of uterine rupture. Yes. Uh, yes, she did. But I, I think at that point I was like, yeah, but I mean, is any percentage okay? <laughs> like, this is, this is risk that I don't really have to take on. My husband is a, a data science, a data scientist by trade. Uh, so he was doing the same thing with the statistics. Like, well, you know, the statistics are so low. If this is something you want to try for. Then I think that that's great. And it's, I don't think you need to worry about this too much, but me and like the hormone fueled rage at the very end of my pregnancy, like ready to just have this baby in our family and not be pregnant anymore. Um, was like, no, like there's, there's just, I, why would I increase the risk of losing this child in any way over something that's entirely elective? Mm -hmm. uh, but I was still really, really wrestling with this and really unsure what I wanted to do. I started joining, uh, there's a, a pretty good Facebook group. It's like evidence-based VBAC. Um, that's all people talking about their decision to or to not have a VBAC or what happened during their VBAC. Um, I joined a group like that. That's kind of a, a personality trait of mine is to locate a Facebook group and join it for really anything I'm going through. Um, and that was helpful, but I mean, it did also scare me. There were plenty of women that talked about their VBACs that went really, really poorly. There were women that talked about losing their children and I, I knew it was rare, but it was still enough for me to be like, I just, I mean, the C-section felt like a known quantity, at least, mm -hmm. you know, even though the recovery was hard, even though it was like maybe not an ideal birth experience for me, or maybe a better way to say that is I, it was something I'd already experienced and I was kind of excited about having a different type of experience for my next birth. Um, it was at least something I could anticipate. And to your point earlier about this is my second child. Like I need to line up childcare for my oldest. When I go into labor, a C-section is so much easier to plan around. All of my family is out of town. I could have uh, like scheduled someone to come in, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so I'm still 
very much wrestling with all this. It was in the middle of the holidays. It was also in the middle of the peak of Omicron in New York City, which is a really fun time to have to go back and forth to the hospital a lot. Um, I went into labor at 37 weeks in two days, which is one day more pregnant than I made it with my son. My body apparently does not like to be any more pregnant than exactly that. Um, and my labor came on really, really fast. And it was, it kind of felt like I was, I was in it. And I, I knew that at any time I could kind of pull the ripcord and say like, no, I want to have a C-section, which is what my doctor told me when I sent her that email. Like, you don't need to make a final decision about this right now. I encourage you to think about it a little bit more. You can decide any time that you would rather do the C-section. They uh, actually scheduled me for a C-section at 39 weeks. I think they, they were not going to let me go further. That may not be true. Maybe it was 40 weeks. They scheduled me for a C-section at 40 weeks. Um, they weren't going to let me go further than that. And it was like, if I if I made it to that date, I was going to have a C-section either way. Otherwise, they would let me do a trial of labor. Um, but I obviously, <laughs> I went into labor much earlier than that. And because it was happening so quickly, I mean, I had my first contraction at 4.45 p.m. Uh, my doctor had told me to go to the hospital when my contractions were four minutes apart, lasting for one minute each for one hour. And they were immediately four to five minutes apart. And in 45 minutes, they were one to two minutes apart. And I was like, this was a very different experience than the contractions I'd had with my first pregnancy. It was like, let's get this baby out. We're ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I hear uh, what my doctor said was that for a, for generally for a second birth, then we have you come in at, I think, eight minutes uh, because your labor tends to progress so much more quickly. They want to make sure that you go ahead and get in. Uh, and for a first time birth, I think it was like three minutes. And she said, we kind of split the difference and have you come in at, at four to five um, because you this is your second birth, but you also haven't labored before. So it's a little harder to predict how this is going to go. Uh, but I mean, I didn't even make it to an hour before my contractions were increasing in intensity and speed really, really quickly. Um, I called my doctor and I was like, I am in labor. And she was like, ah, well, you know, your contractions might space back out, but why don't you go ahead and come in? I'm like, my husband is like picking up my son from daycare to shuttle him to our friend's house. I ended up going to the hospital alone and he met me there later after he was able to get my son dropped off. Uh, by the time my husband got there though, I was in like, very active, very painful labor. And I, uh, I did not expect it to be as painful as it was, to be honest. When I'd had those like five baby contractions with my son, I was like, oh, this isn't that hard. <laughs> maybe maybe oh I have a really high pain tolerance, which I actually know is very much not true about myself. All right, I'm going to stop you there because we need to take a break when we come back. I want to hear... I want to hear what happened with handling those contractions. Okay, we're going to be take a quick break. We're going to be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back. So I want to back up. So here you are. You weren't quite sure. Were you going to have a VBAC? Were you going to have a surgical birth? Did you take another childbirth ed class during that between kids? I did not. And again, this is probably just one of those second kids. No, I'm not. I'm, this is no way shaming her. It's more I'm thinking about no, no, no. how in your mind, it, like, I just feel like, oh, you know, when I reflect on what my experience was like as a first time parent of my son as a newborn and my experience oh, as a yeah, parent of my, my daughter as a newborn, I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking about you know, like every day I I spent all day, every day, just thinking about my pregnancy with my first, because what else am I doing? This is like the single biggest thing happening in my life right now. And I, otherwise I'm just like working on my computer. So I'm thinking whatever. about if you, uh, because you didn't have a trial of labor and your birth class was a bit ago, how, what were, what were you doing to handle those strong contractions? I was really trying to remember that Lamas class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fortunately,
definitely, by the time my husband got there, he did remember a lot from the Lamas class, which is impressive because he generally has a terrible memory, but he was able to recall quite a bit. My husband's also a, uh, a runner and was really doing his best to not make annoying running analogies to me because he knew they would not land well, <laughs> but he, uh, he was kind of drawing on some experience as a runner to say like, I don't remember what kind of motivational things he was saying, or uh, I think he was talking about like climbing a hill or I did really dig my nails into his hands. <laughs> he, he had the wherewithal to not complain about it until I think a day or two after our daughter was born to be like, look at my, look at my wounds on my hand. You're like, look at my wounds. <laughs> I wounded my vagina. I'm sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was really hard. There definitely was a moment where I was like, would this be faster if you just put me, like, took me back for a C-section? Because this was during the peak of Omicron, uh, the hospital was super short-staffed. And they were like, oh, I don't know, it's a full moon. Like, everyone's having babies right now. It's like, well, that's not really helpful to me. But they, like, they literally couldn't get me back to a room fast enough. And my doctor came at one point and I just started yelling at people and was like, she's going to have this baby in triage. Like, we have to get her to a room immediately. Um, because my contractions had progressed so quickly and were so, so strong. By the time I checked in, they were I mean, just crashing one into another. They're like asking me at check-in, like, have you had any symptoms of COVID-19 in the past? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I can barely breathe, much less talk to you about this. Can I please get back to a room? Um, they did. They, so they got me back to the room and I'm, I was in triage and I had like changed into my gown and everything. And I used the bathroom and I noticed that I was bleeding and I came back out and I said to the nurse, like, I, I'm I'm bleeding, and uh, they were like, "Huh? Like, how much are you bleeding?" And I was like, "I mean, I don't know. It's like, is any amount okay?" Yeah, because um, bloody show. I'm sure they were thinking about placental abruption, but yeah, there is like, it's natural to have blood. It's called bloody show. Yes. Uh, so they, I mean, they kept a very close eye on the bleeding the whole time. I I noticed that anytime my doctor came and did like a cervical check, she would ask the nurse like, "How recently?" the like pads in my bed had been changed because I mean, I couldn't really see what was happening. Like my giant belly in the way. And I'm like struggling to get through breathing all by itself without worrying about that. Um, so they finally get me back to a room and I was, I mean, I was crying. Like I was so, I was in so much pain and I, <laughs> I mentioned before the break, like I, after the contractions I'd had, the very few baby contractions I'd had with my first, I was like, maybe I'm just really great at this and maybe I have super high pain tolerance and maybe it's just because I have kind of rough periods that I'm just used to uterine cramping. This is just not going to be a big deal. That was not true. Uh, I think that the theme overall for my second birth was uh, hubris is a real bitch. Uh, I, I was not just magically great at this and I was having a really rough time. They, I did ask for an epidural, which I was so grateful for. I really, I could have kissed that anesthesiologist on the face. They finally get me back to a room and the, you know, with the staffing shortage, they were like waiting for a room to like for the patient to be transferred and they didn't have enough transfer people available. And then they're like waiting for a janitor to come clean the room and waiting for laundry to be brought. Like it was just really, that was why my doctor was getting so upset. Like we have, we've got to get this woman back to her room. Uh, finally the anesthesiologist is like waiting for me in the room when I get there. Um, they like did the epidural right away. And I, I did tell the anesthesiologist, uh, that I'd, I'd had a cesarean the first time and that I reacted really poorly to the anesthesia and was really sick all night long. And I just wanted to make sure that whatever, whatever they were doing was not going to cause that. And they asked me where I'd given birth the first time. It was at a different hospital. My, my, um, care provider had changed hospitals between my births. Um, and they made some comment about like, oh, well, the doctors at that hospital use way too much morphine in their spinals. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, well, I guess this is going to be fine then. And it was much better. And honestly, the epidural, I just was so grateful for it. I was so, it was a like very euphoric feeling, not because there was anything in the drugs that they gave me that made me feel euphoria. It was just the like stark, swift absence of this excruciating pain um, that I was able to kind of 
be more present, be more in the moment, be more like in tune with what was happening with my body, which I felt very counterintuitive to me. I hear people say all the time, like, oh, I don't want an epidural because I want to be really in touch with what's happening with my body. And I think it will help me, you know, do a better job pushing or, or whatever it is. That was very much not the experience for me. I was in so much pain that there's just no, there for me, there's no way I could have gotten through that birth experience without the epidural. Uh, after that, you know, I was dilating pretty quickly. They were still checking in on the bleeding. Um, and one of the things that my doctor said when we talked about the VBAC and the risks and what they were willing to do is basically if anything starts going sideways, then they will take me back for a C-section. They're like not going to let me labor through like the baby's heart rate decelerating or, or I mean, absolutely anything looking like it's going wrong. Um, and I, I think that it was a kind of non-quantifiable threshold of when she would feel like this was no longer worth pursuing. Um, it's not like, you know, Oh, if the heart rate reaches this or if this specific thing happens, she was like, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I just kind of know it's like a, a gut feeling if this is going to work or it's not. And she checked in on me often. I had nurses with me often the whole time. They were like, you know, you're progressing well. I was dilating pretty fast. I was still bleeding, but they were kind of chalking it up to how quickly my labor was progressing. I think that I had been moved back to, I, I, so my contraction started at 445. I got to the hospital probably around 545. I think they moved me back to a room around like eight or nine. Um, and then I was back there for a few more hours after I'd had the epidural. I was just absolutely living my best life. I was <laughs> laying in bed. They gave me the peanut ball thing to help the uh, baby descend a little bit more. I was watching Friends on Nick at Night. I was having a great time. Uh, then they told me it was time, um, that I was 10 centimeters dilated. The baby had descended. They came in and uh, said I was going to do a practice push. And... Um, I was on my back uh, pushing because I'd had the epidural. I, again, also like didn't take another birthing class. Uh, maybe I should have, but I felt like, you know, the nurses are going to take care of me. It's going to be fine. Uh, so I was on my back, and uh, my husband had one of my legs. The nurse had the other leg. My doctor's like, okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a deep breath and put your chin to your chest. And then when I say go, you're going to push. Like, you're going to make a really big bowel movement. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I did it, and she said, okay, one, two, three, push. And then I started pushing, and she goes, oh, my God, the baby's coming out. Everyone has symbol. Avengers assemble places people. Uh, and I mean, she was like basically already out. I gave like a, like a hiccup, like a half push and she was out. And then, you know, I was it's like this magic moment, right? Like this person that I've been waiting nine months to meet is here. I just want to see what she looks like. I want to make sure that she's healthy. I want to hear that she's crying, but the Doctors started kind of moving around in a way that I knew something was not quite right. So I just kept asking, like, is is the baby okay? Is the baby okay? They're like, oh, yeah, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. I was like, am I okay? They were like, yes. So uh, you've had a placental abruption. We monitored you the whole time. Like, everyone was safe. No one. We didn't know. I was like, whoa, I cannot, like, take in all this information right now. I did not know you had a placental abruption. Yeah. Because uh, we've talked yeah, about your birth so, a little bit, and that did not come up. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, All right. I'm processing yeah, this, too. It was, it was scary. You know, they in the moment, I was just like, hey, <gasps> oh, yes, so we did well. talk about this. Oh, my goodness. I yeah, remember we, when you we, first we came back with your placenta yeah, soup. So my first class back, um, I was actually placenta telling soup. someone Isn't that what we called it? Class this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, Ellie, like, shot out on a log flume of placenta soup and uh my husband is like so excited to meet our baby girl but also like my blood is everywhere like on the walls on the floor at like everywhere he said it looked like kill bill and i uh you know i'm just like not really aware of what's going on but i was a, a little confused and we we were trying to go to the hospital as fast as we could. We had to like get back to our other kid. We just like wanted to not be there anymore. Nice hospital. Everything was fine. Um, 
I do think, and I don't know if this was Omicron or this is just they they knew that we were second time parents, but we were like, it's not like people were really checking on us. <laughs> it's like they they did their like mandatory rounds, but like the lactation consultant was not making it around to the second time moms. Um, so we were just like ready to get out and get our own support system in place and see our own pediatrician. Um, but I it, like something about it just didn't really sit right with me. I asked to see my placenta and they said no. Um, and they had like dumped it all into a cooler. Uh, and I like three weeks later got an alert from my chart that said like your placenta pathology results are ready. And I was like, Oh, I have what? Placenta pathology. So I started looking through that and I was like, I don't understand what any of this means, but I, was like Googling all these words and I was like, this is not helpful. Like this says that I could have died. And I don't know that that's true. Um, so actually my first class back, I think you yes, ever heard me talk. I remember else, talking you to me. I'm like, you yeah, need to you talk, like, to, your you need to, talk to your doctor and have some closure. I think I was afraid of coming across like combative or something, which is, I don't know, also probably a patriarchy thing. Um, so I did. I had my six week follow up not long after that. And I was like, I just want to understand uh, what happened. I'm like not questioning that I received adequate care or anything like that. I just don't understand what happened. Um, and she said that to detect a placental abruption uh, on a sonogram, it has to be really, really severe. And uh, mine was obviously not severe enough to detect because I'd had plenty of sonograms. I'd actually been in triage uh, not that long before I went into labor, like maybe a week before I went into labor because I, um, felt like I had decreased fetal movement and they checked her and she was fine. They like let me sit on the monitors for a while and they were like, nope, everything's fine. I had a sonogram then. Um, and they didn't see anything. Um, she said that it's just not something that we can detect on a sonogram unless it's really severe, but we will never really know for sure. But what we can assume probably happened is your placenta began to detach at some point towards the end of your pregnancy. We have no way to know when. It was obviously still attached enough that she was getting oxygen, um, but blood started to pool behind it. And when you went into labor, because it was so fast, which is also consistent with a placental abruption, you started bleeding. Um, now, because you were also dilating so quickly, it it was possible that you were just your cervix was bleeding because you were dilating so quickly. And the amount that you were bleeding was kind of on the cusp of like the high end of normal. If maybe you just have a bloody cervix and we don't know because you've never been in labor before. This was your first time. Um, so we don't know. We kept a really close eye on it. We monitored the baby's heart rate really closely. She was never in any danger. I asked, like, do, is there anything that I need to be worried about about Ellie? Like, obviously, she's <laughs> alive, but, like, is did she, like, lose oxygen at some point in time? Is there, like, do I need to be worried about cognitive delays? She was like, no, 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 nothing like that. Uh, it was just a – it was a close call, basically. She was like, I have a few more gray hairs, but everyone's okay now. So you just – I wouldn't change anything about your care for a future pregnancy. If you wanted to go for this again, I would still consider you a good candidate for a VBAC. Uh but this kind of was what it was. And I, you know, I felt a little bit better after that. It's still just like such a bizarre thing. Like how did this, I mean, really scary thing happen and no one detected it the whole time I was in labor. Um, but I did, I did at least feel like I had some closure after that. Um, but overall, like the recovery from the VBAC, even with the abruption was so much easier than the recovery from the C-section. Especially having a toddler at home already. Um, I know they tell you after you have a C-section that you can't lift anything heavier than the baby, but you know, they're just talking about the little baby, not your big baby. That baby is way too heavy for you to pick up. And I think that would have been, uh, honestly just emotionally hard for me and for my son, um, to not be able to pick him up at all. Not that I was doing a lot of lifting him and I was still recovering from birth, but, uh, it was nice to be able to just not feel so restricted in that way. Wow. Sydney, I have to say what I know when we talked about your VBAC and like, Oh, well, come on, let's do a birth story. I had forgotten because you've been coming to postnatal for a while. And I remember your first class, you were right, like a sh slightly shy of six weeks, you and another student. And I think the other student was like the same doctor had their baby a day yeah. before you. And we talked about the abruption and you're right. I'm like, you need to have clothes. You need to talk. I totally did not connect the dots. I completely forgot about that. So hearing your story, wow. Wow. 
How have you, I know you processed it with your doctor and now I remember so much about this. Um, how have you now processed all of this? Because it also feels like it was slightly like an accidental VBAC. Like you were like, should we, should we yes. not? And then you're like, oh, and here we go. Oh, and here I we go. And like, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I'm hearing it. How have you now after this time processed all of it? Cause there were definitely some like, like accidental and then, and the abruption. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like it was fate, you know, um, maybe it's like silly to kind of chalk it up to that, but I am glad that it happened the way that it did. Uh, I, you know, I'm mostly glad because everyone is, is healthy and everything ended up fine. Although it was a little bit scary. I'm like happy that I still kind of got the experience of a vaginal birth. I'm happy that I had the recovery that I had, that it was so much easier on my body. It was so much easier on my family. Um, I, even though it in the end was a little bit out of my hands, um, I'm glad that I kind of had that time to really critically consider what the risks of the VBAC were instead of kind of flying blind into it the way I'd been flying blind up until that last appointment with my doctor. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I ended up going for it. I definitely could have pulled out and gone for the C-section once I was in the hospital. Uh, but I think the even the fact that I had just gone into labor on my own made me feel like, okay, then like, maybe this is what my body wants to do. And like, this is what is going to happen. Um, I was worried about like going really late into my pregnancy and then being like, so stressed of, am I going to get a chance to try for it? Or am I just going to hit the C-section date? And this is all the stress and worry is going to have been for nothing. Um, I was happy to like have the experience of going into labor naturally and, uh, giving birth, uh, vaginally, I thought that that was, I don't know. It was just, I'm glad that it, I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I had the time to kind of critically think about it. Of course, I'm not glad that I had a placental abruption, but I'm glad that everyone's healthy on the other side. And I don't begrudge the experience because of that. It's quite the experience. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So tell me, I know that the healing process was different, um, vaginal birth, cesarean. How has postpartum been in general? Uh, you know, it's been really good. I think that the, the healing process was easier. I, um, when I had my son, I had a close friend who had a, I mean, we had our babies a few hours apart. It was really kind of funny. Um, and she had a vaginal birth, but she had some very severe, like fourth degree tearing mm. and did a ton of, of pelvic floor PT and just had a really, really hard time with the recovery. That was kind of my worst case scenario, right? That was one of the things in my risk calculation of, you know, like I certainly don't want anything bad to happen to my child over something that was kind of elective. And I also like, it sounds like this recovery could be just as bad, if not worse in some ways. Uh, that didn't happen to me. Thank God. Even with the precipitous labor, uh, I had some like very minor superficial tearing, but that was never really a concern. Well, she and slid out like a water slide on a, on a pool of blood. <laughs> placenta. Like, a, uh, like she, a champagne cork, you know, she just like <laughs> popped right out. And then Your placenta out, lubricated like a little raft to kind of like yeah, I say that jokingly. I know. We were just talking about this yesterday when I was telling him I was doing this podcast. He was like, now we never have to take the kids to Disney because Ellie's already been on the log flu. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not trying to make light of placental abruption. I know it's serious, but I do remember you talking about your placenta soup. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, obviously it's very serious. You know, if we can't laugh about it, then we would cry. So we just have to laugh about it a little bit. Uh, no, but overall the, the recovery has been pretty good. The the postpartum period has been interesting for kind of other reasons. I think that with my son, I had 12 weeks off work fully paid, which I know in this country, I was like very grateful to have. Not everyone gets that. Um, and I even, I worked for a pretty small company at the time. I was, I was grateful that they had, you know, for America, a relatively generous policy. Uh, this time I, um, got six months, paid leave. I, you know, after I went back to work with my son, I was just so not ready to go back. I was just like not mentally in it. I was like hardly physically in it. We had just kind of started to hit our stride and I 
had to go back to work and it was really hard. Uh, I decided like, I'm not going to have another baby until I can work somewhere that will give me six months, at least six months of paid leave. Um, and I did, I found a job that would give me six months of paid leave. It was great. Um, unfortunately two months into my leave, there was a massive round of layoffs at my company and I lost my job. Uh, so there was some, you know, kind of outside stress brought into the postpartum period that I was not anticipating. I was, you know, I felt like I had really played my cards right. I had really lined up this extended leave. I was going to have so much time to not only like rest and recover and bond, but, uh, just like really enjoy my child. I felt like that's what I was kind of missing the first time is we, we had the time to rest, recover and bond a little, but I didn't really get the time to just enjoy being with him. Um, before he, he was with my husband for a little while and then he ended up going to daycare. Um, this time I was, I was really excited for that. And I feel a little bit cheated that so much of my time, uh, off has been taken up with, you know, trying to line up a new job and having to deal with the emotional stress of all of that. But, um, I also, you know, you mentioned that the first time I rolled up to class, I was like just shy of my six week follow up, which I think I actually scheduled to be from before I was six weeks, uh, because I was just really ready to take a bath again. And I needed <laughs> the clearance to do that. Um, I do, I did kind of get out there much faster this time. I think part of it was that I just, I felt a little bit better. The recovery was easier than the C-section. Um, but also I was just like, it's not like, well, I'll speak for myself. The first postpartum period is just such a shock to the system. You know, it was, I remember feeling just, I mean, kind of horrified at all of the ways in which I've just destroyed what my life used to look like. And some of them are beautiful, right? Like I have this beautiful child, but some of them are like, the crushing weight of responsibility of taking care of this human being for the rest of my life. And have I actually maybe ruined everything good about my life by doing this? And maybe that's a little touch of postpartum depression. Who knows? Um, the second time it was like, well, I'm, my life is kind of already run by another kid. And we're just figuring out how this one kind of fits into the equation and, uh, figuring out the, you know, the things that will be special for her and the ways that she fits into kind of the structure of our family already and the way that our day to day looks. And, uh, I absolutely called my mom in for a Hail Mary. Oh my God. I have two children. I don't know what to do. I need you to come help me. And she came up to New York for two weeks, which was really awesome. She's fantastic. Um, but yes, in general, I was absolutely that weirdo at yoga with a five week old baby where everyone's like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, now you've had a lot and you've been a parent now twice. What is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new or expectant parents? I'll give you a moment to chew on that. We'll be right back. Okay, Sydney. So... What would you like to share? One final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? Well, first, thank you for asking me this question because I am an expert on all things parenting and probably offer the best advice. I'm just kidding. Uh, my biggest piece of advice is um, your kids are going to be who they're going to be. And I uh, encourage you to look at your relationship with your child as being an ambassador to helping them become who they were always going to be, not a project for you to mold into exactly what you imagined for them. Um, I've said many times that I think the hardest part of having a second, I've heard this question come up so much, right? Like, is it harder to go from zero to one kids or one to two kids or two to three kids? And everyone kind of has a different opinion on this. When I was pregnant with my second, I was like, oh, there's no way that it's harder to go from one to two than zero to one. Like that was impossible. That was so, so hard. I know how to take care of a newborn now. I learned so much the first time that this is going to be a piece of cake all the stuff that took so much trial and error to figure out I'm going to be able to do correctly from the get go. <laughs> Here's what I learned. Every kid is different. 
they all like different things. They all need different things. Uh, It's your job as a parent to meet them where they are. And uh, your kids are going to be different from each other. Your kids are going to be different from your friends' kids. Your kids are going to be different from the kids you read about on the internet. Um, And for myself, I learned that while I did, in theory, know how to take care of a newborn, I did not know how to take care of a newborn and a toddler at the same time. So that was still some growing and learning that I had to do there. Um, uh, my other big piece of advice is to uh, don't do it alone. You know, I think community is so, so important. I think that's a huge thing that PYC offers, uh, offered for my first pregnancy and my second pregnancy. I was part of the new mom support group um, my first after my first pregnancy, and, and that was huge for me. I, I honestly had maybe been to one prenatal yoga class. I was like on the mailing list, but I was in a coffee shop when I was maybe five weeks postpartum with my son. Like I was just trying to achieve my goal of leaving the house one time a day, went three blocks away to a coffee shop and sat down and he was in the carrier sleeping. And um, there was another woman there that just started talking to me and she lived nearby and she had another, uh, she had a kid that was a little bit older and, she told me, have you been to the prenatal yoga center? And I said, I, you know, I think I went one time when I was pregnant and she said, they have a new mom support group. It's so fantastic. I've met all of my best friends there. I'm still friends with those women. It's so worth going. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go. And I went and you know what? Now I, I do that same thing for other new moms that I meet. Well, I have told so people you're the moms. mayor of the Upper West Side yeah. that way. Like, <laughs> it was just last I'm week that someone was the mayor for me. <laughs> I remember someone walked in last week. You were already set up in your spot. I think you were swaddling Ellie. And then a new student walked in who I think her baby was like the same age as yours and lived like a couple blocks away. And I'm like, ah, yeah. friendships. There we go. It is a friendship. Um, you know, I think especially in the Upper West Side or like in our specific community, uh, it can be, it can feel like intimidating to just introduce yourself to someone else. But if I've learned anything with both of my pregnancies, it is that other parents you see are seeking connection with other parents, especially right. parents of a new baby. They are just as lost as you felt at one point in time. I have really never introduced myself to a new parent that was like rude or didn't want to talk to me. Almost always ends in let's exchange numbers. You want to go for a walk sometime? Have you been to postnatal yoga? Let's go to Elliot's gym. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a really easy, great way to build community. And a lot of my son's friends now are the children of those moms that I met on maternity leave. Like this is uh, part of a community that you're building for your family and it, it can last a really long time. I have friends. My son is going to be 11 this summer and he was 10 weeks old and we did the <laughs> same with Jess, Jess Shapley, like the same, the same leader yeah. of the new mom support group. Cause she's been with us almost 20 years. I am friends with several of the people I met in that support group. It will be 11 years this September that we all met up in that, okay. in that support group. Oh, I hear Ellie. Ellie. So I wanted to your co-star. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your story and just being so open about your experience. I think that the more people hear about all birth options and all birth stories, it can demystify because it's such an unknown for so many people. So thank you for sharing your birth stories and your postpartum and for being part of our community. Thank you, Deb. This was, uh, this was so great. Yay. <laughs> this has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.